There are some things that preachers say that are probably just habitual and don't mean a lot, but I think when they say, please continue praying for us as we preach, or for me as I open my mouth, that's not habitual, it's, it's real. Paul asked for that in Ephesians, that the Lord would, would he asked for prayer, that the Lord would open his mouth to be able to speak the things of the gospel and think, speak them uh, plainly, speak them openly, speak them with power. So would you pray the Lord would do that? Um, if you'll open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 32, Deuteronomy 32, we, we are seeking to understand what the Bible meant when it said in Genesis 1.27 that God made them male and female, and we're thinking particularly about what it meant that He made them female. <clears throat> what is a female? So we've been examining this um, glorious uh, creation of God. And humanity, by making human beings made in His image for His glory, with intelligence, to be able to, um, in a purposeful way, live in a way that brings honor and glory to God. The rest of creation does it by nature. We have to be taught to do it and learn to do it and love to do it. So this requires our affection, our heart, to live in a way that God has designed us to be. Yes, there are certain things that are hardwired into our beings and they give us the ingredients, the material, and the power to do, but we need the heart, don't we? We need the, the desire. Um, so we are, we are complex beings and we are rebels by nature. And so may God give us the grace to, to love what He teaches about who we are and about what He's designed us for. And so we're going to think that this morning, we looked at um, the female as a relational being and then this morning going to look at the female as a nurturer. So um, ingrained into the very fabric of what it means to be a female, it is that you are a nurturer. God has designed you for nurture. And so um, I want to do the same thing we've done in the last messages, walk through the design and then the fall and its effects and some of the effects of the fall and then finish with the redemption, You know how the Lord Jesus informs how to live in a redeemed way um, by His grace and by His power to uh, embrace and to own what He has called us to. But before we do all that, I want to start with some meditations like we did last time. The meditations are from Deuteronomy chapter 32. So Deuteronomy 32, this, uh, this, chapter, this chapter is uh, the last song of Moses. So it's his last song. Um, he knows, God has already told him that he will be um, not um, able to lead the people uh, over that last step, that the, the long-awaited, the long-promised, and the long-delayed uh, step into the promised land, Moses would be not able to do that because of his sin in not nurturing the people as he should have. So you might expect a, a dejected Moses or uh, perhaps a, um, an angry Moses, um, but that's not what you find in this passage. This is a Moses that is, he is not bitter. He knows he's going to die. He's not angry at God. He actually is just overcome with the goodness of God. So let me just read a few verses from this. I'm going to show his, his thoughts towards God to start with, starting in verse 1. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew. Because I'm going to say some things that are just going to be like the rain on a on a parched ground. We're in a drought period right now. You've heard about the Mississippi River dropping to record low levels. This is, I'm going to tell you some things that are going to be like the rain coming to a parched ground. As the small rain upon the tender herb and as the showers upon the grass because, this is why this is such good news, because I will publish the name of the Lord. God, of the Lord. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. So that's, that's the one that Moses is going to describe. I'm going to ascribe greatness to this God who is a rock and all His ways are good and right. And then Moses will move down a little bit and he'll begin to, uh, to let us in on what he is so thrilled uh, with God about as he is approaching death. And you can imagine why this would be so precious to Moses, because Moses had the people of Israel close at his heart. So Moses had sinned, of course. He had, he had struck the rock in, 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 in anger, but don't, that's not all Moses did. 
Uh, Moses also stood between the people and God when God's fury was coming at the people for their rebellion. Moses begged God to take the punishment at times of the children of Israel, sins of the children of Israel on him on his own back and 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 spare them. Moses was a mediator. Moses had the heart of the uh, he in his heart he had the goodness of the Israel and so close and so precious and so dear to him. So let's think about what he says about God. Verse 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee. Thy elders, and they will tell thee. Ask them what they'll tell you about God and his dealings with his people. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. There's this whole race of Adam. And yet he's setting the bounds. He's, he, he, he's, he's working the affairs of men directed towards this one small family. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. So the Lord takes a portion for himself. Now, when you, you, you do that, um, you, might go, you might have gone to an estate sale yesterday and, and just, just sort of to peruse and see, is there anything here um, that, would be, that would be useful in my house? And so what you're looking for there is you're looking to add some value or maybe, you, uh, you're, maybe you're a collector and you're something that you're interested in and something that you will enjoy, a possession you take to yourself that you will enjoy, that will be useful to you, that will increase your value in some the value of your goods in some way. That's how we generally take possessions. But this is not what God is doing here. God is taking possessions to Himself, but these are not possessions that will immediately um, increase the, 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 his, his net worth or that will bring joy and, and ease to His life. Instead, God takes this possession to Himself so that God can pour into this possession. So God takes his possession, as it were, as a project to to bless. Listen to this. He found him in a desert land and in the waste, howling wilderness. So he takes Jacob to himself. But he finds Jacob in this waste, howling wilderness. Ezekiel 16 is very similar language. In Ezekiel 16... Uh, describes the same thing as God finding an abandoned infant. So God sees this abandoned infant out in the desert. It's still covered in his own blood. And what is God's response? God's response is, and by the way, you need to hear this this morning, God's thoughts toward you, God's dealings with you, if you are his possession. The scriptures say, are not the work of a hireling. It's not just God doing his job as God cares for you. As God provides for you, as he takes care of you, as he ministers to you, he's not just doing a job, but you're actually close to his heart. It's not just God working all things according to the counsel of his will in a robotic way as if he is just some, some, uh, some force, some impersonal force, but God is a personal God. He takes personal care and notice of his people. This is what this passage is saying. He finds him in this desert land. He finds him in this waste-howling wilderness, and he takes him to himself. And then he says he led him about. Now you might get the picture there of a, of a, of a, of a master with a leash, attached to a dog's collar. That's not what led them about means. What led them about actually means, the word actually means is that he, he compassed them. He, he shielded them. So God takes this infant that is in great peril and the first thing he does is he, he shields them about. He, he puts his... He's the Lord of Sabaoth. He, he surrounds them with hosts of angelic beings and powerful forces in His own hands to protect them and to shield them. And I'm saying them as if it's somebody else. Friends, this is you if you're His. 
God found you, and the first thing God does is God protects you, and He shields you with His own self. And then it says, listen to this, He instructed him. So notice God is not just saying, this is a pitiful, a pitiful sight, I'm going to just you know, pay for their care in the hospital, and they're just going to live in this vegetative state for the rest of their life. But no, He says, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to develop them. I want them to grow. I want them to learn. This instruct is a broader meaning, just means to care for. With this skill and this specialized knowledge that God has, God has, God is working to grow and to develop His people. Isn't that true? He who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that your hope that God is in the process right now of sanctifying you and purging you? 1 Peter 1 says He is sometimes in heaviness through manifold temptations that God is, as it were, burning away impurities from us that we might be found forth pure to His praise. And it says in 1 Peter 1 that when we really see this at the end, we're going to give honor and glory to God at the appearing of Jesus Christ for His work with us. We will never, we will never criticize the work of God in us when we can see it as it is. Right now, it's hard to see, isn't it? I would imagine it's hard to see for the Holden family right now. How is, how is God purifying us? How is this going to be found to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ? It's hard to see in the moment. But He says, you're going to see this. You're going to rejoice. And then God changes the metaphor here in verse 11 just to give more meat to this. He says, As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. Let's stop right there. What's he saying? He's saying the eagle has given birth to this young one, and is, and, and is cared for the young one in the nest, but the eagle recognizes by nature that this young one cannot, it will not be good for this young one to stay in the nest for the rest of their life. This young one must learn how to fly. And so the eagle comes and fluttereth her wings over the young one. It really takes the, 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 the eaglet and puts it on the tip of her wings and rises up out of the nest into the air and, and fluttereth so to push it off the wing so that it will fly on its own, but if it's not ready to fly, it's there to come under and take, take under her wings, um, take un, with her wings, take uh, the eagle to fall into her wings again and to rest. It's not going to fall. She's hovering over this eagle. This is how it says the Lord does. Isn't that amazing? He agitates, preparing for, for flight, not prematurely, but in the right time. Training in this protective way for life. Comforting, reassuring. It changes it again. Verse 13. He made him ride on the high places of the earth that he might eat the increase of the fields. And he made him to suck honey out of the rock. This phrase for sucking honey is, is nursing I'm going to give you the very best, this honey from a rock. That's how God did, didn't He? <laughs> he would feed them with manna from on high. He would make sure that they were fed and cared for. He was in a physical way, but also in a spiritual way, He would feed them with His prophets and His Word. Butter of kine and milk of sheep, fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats. And thou dost drink the pure blood of the grape. He's saying, I gave you the very best of things. I gave you the very best of foods. So what can we say about God and His dealings with us? God is a nurturer, isn't He? God nurtures life. God cares about life. And not just life, but God cares about abundant life. Can you not say that your life in fact, this seems such a, it almost seems blasphemous to only say abundant in terms of God's care, God's heart towards you, God's preparation of you for life, His, his fluttering of His wings when you didn't you wanted to just stay, stay safe in the nest. And He said, no, no, you're going to get out and experience this, but I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to care for you. I will not leave you. The way that God has fed you through the years 
both physically and spiritually, where you've eaten of the very best of things, and you've enjoyed some of the greatest graces of life, all coming from the hand of a God who's not just keeping this universe uh, together in an impersonal way, but, but God is keeping this universe together, especially that you would be cared for. Well, this care that God gives is both illustrated, but it's also lived out in real humanity. You don't just sing of it. We sang this morning, Jesus heals the brokenhearted, this tender care of Jesus caring for the brokenhearted. We think of Savior like a shepherd lead us. This shepherding care for His people. But we don't just sing of it. Here's the wonderful thing about God. We get to experience it in a real boots on the ground practical way because God made them female. What does it mean to be a female? It means that God has designed you to be a nurturer of life. In a very similar way to what we just read in Deuteronomy 32, God has hardwired you and called you to identify, to embrace nurturing of all sorts. Of course, the first thing we think of is as, as a mother, but that's not the only thing God has described in the, in, in the Scriptures at all. That all of life and all of relationships are to be thought of in terms of nurturing. First of all, you are physically designed for nurturing if you're a woman. Think about this. You're biologically designed to be able to conceive life and then to be able to nourish and develop that very life in the womb for nine months. That life is grown in the womb through its attachment to you. And then designed to bring forth life. And then in the early stages to be able to nourish and grow and develop life just from your own body. It's amazing, isn't it? The softness of your body in comparison to men provides a warmth and a comfort that men just can't give. A love, an affection, a care. I want to say this, if you are single or you are unable to bear children, you're no less feminine. Your body is still designed to nurture even if God in His sovereign grace and sovereign knowledge and sovereign care, has not allowed you to bring forth offspring. And this is so important you understand this because, as I said earlier, God's design for nurturing and the nurturing role of women in life is far broader than just children. Read Titus 2, for example. So your biologically designed for nurturing, but also... Think about this. You are equipped. This is, the, this is the image of God part. You are equipped to illustrate God's care for His people. God illustrates His nurturing care of His people in female terms. I'm so thankful to, to, to read that. I'm thankful that, to know that God cares for me in a very similar way to the way that my mother cared for me. Or that my wife cares for me. Or that many of you in the congregation care for me in nurturing ways. Let me just, let me just uh, roll a few of these out. The prophet Isaiah really, really keyed on this, this truth. So Isaiah 49, um, and I'll read several passages in Isaiah. <clears throat> Again, we're talking about how that God has equipped you, if you are female, to illustrate, to demonstrate His care for His people. So the question might be asked, well, just how compassionate is God toward me? How thoughtful is God toward me? How committed is God toward me? Those are real questions, aren't they? If there are certain times in life you really want to know, is, is there any compassion left from God toward me? I, I have sinned. I have fallen short of the glory of God. I have by omission and commission, and sometimes very determinedly so, I have gone my own way. I have charted my own course. I've rejected God's counsel. Is God compassionate towards me? Could God still be compassionate? 
Well, Isaiah 49 answers that question. In Isaiah 49, I'll start in verse 13. Sing, O heavens. By the way, if you know the, the, uh, the, 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 the language of Isaiah, you know that it's filled with very real truths about what I just described, about rebellion and sin and idolatry and iniquity and rejection and stupidity and all sorts of foibles that, that, were, that, were, that, that were the lot of the children of Israel. Much like you, much like me. And so it's astounding when we break into uh, language in Isaiah and sing something, sing something like, Sing, O ye heavens, and shout forth, O ye earth. And here's what they're singing about. Break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted His people. What? And will have mercy upon His afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. What they could see and what they felt like they deserved, the Lord's gone. He's gone forever. He's forsaken. He's, 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 uh, he's forgotten about me. Verse 15 says, listen to this, can a woman, here's, here's the language, how compassionate, how committed is God, can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee on the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. How compassionate is God? Here's how God would answer that. I am even more compassionate than a woman. Isn't that something? I'm more compassionate than a woman. God takes the most compassionate thing He can think of. Well, not think of. That He designed, that He made. <laughs> it's the greatest. And He says, I am greater than the greatest. That's what He's saying there. Okay? Isaiah 66. How does God approach comforting His people? How does God approach comforting His people? I'll begin reading in verse 10. Rejoice ye with Jerusalem, and be glad with her, all ye that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn for her, that ye may suck and be satisfied with the breast of her consolations, that ye may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall ye suck, ye shall be born upon her sides, and be dandled upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. And ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And when ye see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like an herb, and the hand of the Lord shall be known toward His servants, and His indignation towards His enemies. When you see this, when you see a mother comforting her child, you know that I comfort you like a mother comforts her child. He goes to the greatest comfort found in this life. Isn't it not true? You see a child in pain and they run where? They run to their mother and she wraps them in her arms and pulls them to her bosom and there is some sort of a magic rest that's found there. How are we to see God's wisdom? Proverbs 8. How wise is God? Doth not wisdom cry, verse 1, and understanding put forth her voice. Listen, to, listen to, the, to, to the gender here. Put forth her voice. She standeth in the top of high places. By the way in the places of the paths, she crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, all at the coming in at the doors. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. Sons of men. Oh, ye simple, understand wisdom, and you fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things, for my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. We can continue reading on through the chapter and notice that in God's great um, understanding of how to understand His wisdom, God paints the idea of wisdom in terms of a mother or a woman, a female's voice. Interesting, isn't it? 
How we understand God's wisdom? As the wisdom of a wise woman filled with intuition and understanding. That intuition is not magic, but it is born on the, uh, on, on the foundation of observation and pondering and concern and deep love. And then there's wisdom because it's coming from God. We could go on and on. One of the greatest consolations that we have is Isaiah 63. Again, in the terms of a woman, in all their afflictions, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. How do we understand God's care and his investment in us in terms of how we see godly women interact with those who they are in relationship with? So God has designed you for nurturing if you're a female. God has done this to bless humanity. And God has done this to illustrate who God is and how important that is. And so let me just say, a part of this message today is to call you to both identify as a nurturer and then to embrace what God has called you in nurturing relationships. Nurturing is about abundant life. So it's more than just life. If you're heard the phrase, you have heard the phrase, this place just needs a woman's touch. And I don't really need to describe what I mean by that, do I? Because something comes to your mind. There's something that's lacking, there's something that's bare, something that's cold, there's something that's just missing, and then a woman's touch hits the scene and things change. Life, barely live, becomes abundant life, right? It's true. It's about life. It's about development. And let me say this, and it is selfless by nature. As I said in our meditations this morning in Deuteronomy 32, when God takes this possession for Himself, it's not just to sit back and let the possession bless Him, but God takes this possession to Himself and immediately, immediately begins to pour into this possession for its good, for, her, for, for His and her good. And aren't you grateful for that? So you can't understanding, understand nurturing if you don't understand selflessness. Because they're one and the same. <clears throat> so let's think for a few minutes just about sort of what sort of some ingredients of nurturing, what's um, essential to nurturing. And hopefully this will be helpful in understanding what I'm talking about. We're talking about the care and, and the encouragement of growth and development. And so let's start right there. Three things I want to think, think through. One of these is just a, sort of a source a source, uh, source truth of, of nurturing. So three things. I'll just say what they are. The heart, and then care, and then development. The heart, and then care, and then development. What is nurturing? Nurturing is, 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 um, is care. It's a deep heart of care that is hardwired by God into our beings and must be developed. It's a heart for life. It's a heart for the good of others. We might call it empathy, compassion, gentleness, kindness. I think Paul does a good job of sort of helping to understand what he means by this nurturing care or heart in 1 Thessalonians 2. Paul is describing in this chapter his, his care for the Thessalonians. And he distinguishes sort of between a female view of care and a male view of care. I think it's helpful to sort of get this so we can understand. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says in verse 7, We didn't use flattering words with you or a cloak of covetousness. We didn't seek glory from you. Um, we didn't try to burden you, but instead, look at verse 7, but we were gentle, or kind, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. The word cherish there means to warm. Isn't that something? What does it mean to cherish? It means that there's a, there's a source of, of warmth that's reaching out, I'm warm towards you, and my interaction with you causes you to warm as well. 
That's what it means to have a heart of nurturing, is your heart warm towards those in your care, toward those whom you're in relationship with. So we continue reading, so being, here's the heart, affectionately desirous of you. That's good biblical language, isn't it? What does it mean to to, to have a heart of, of nurture? To be affectionately desirous of you. So he has, he's just saying, we have the best interest of you deep within our heart. Therefore, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, as if that were not enough. So we're coming to you with the gospel. Why? Because we are affectionately desirous toward you. Why? Because we are as a nurse who's gentle with her young, we, want, we cherish you. So we're going to come with the words of Christ to bless you, to warm you, to develop you, to grow you. But also this, we were also willing even to give up our own souls. Why? Because ye were dear unto us. This is the heart of nurturing. We're affectionately desirous of you. We give the word is good for you. And it's as if we're willing to just go ahead and give our own souls to bless you as well because we, you are dear unto us. Here, listen to verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preach unto you the gospel of God. Here's the words, labor and travail that continues through night and day. So an enduring labor and travail for their good. Now he moves down and you sort of see the contrast between the women and the men or the female nurture and the men care and protection. In verse 10 when it says, um, in verse 11 it says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charge every one of you as a father doth his children. So see, see that contrast? Here's a father. We spoke about this in, in past messages. He's exhorting and he's charging and he's comforting. But it's different than this affectionate desire that labors and travails and cherishes and warms and gives his own soul. It's just different, isn't it? You might just take that passage and just chew on it for a while. I think it's a very helpful contrast. Proverbs 31 describes this thing, this, this same idea, this heart, as, as being ruled by a law. There's something that's hardware, hardwired into this godly woman. She's ruled by a law of kindness. This kindness, this empathy, this heart that is deep within her. It's, it's, it's like Jesus who is touched, touched by the feeling of infirmities. This is nurturing. Now next is care. We can turn to Proverbs 31. It says that this, well, let me just turn there for a moment. Proverbs 31. Care, it's, 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 it's labor. It's, it's, it's actually caring for. I don't mean just a heart of care, but it's, it's work. It's labor. It's, it's boots on the ground. It's hands that are busy. Proverbs 31 describes some of this. That's um, helpful. Um, in verse uh, 15, she riseth also while it is night. Well, why would anybody do that? Because she's going to give some meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. Who would? I don't do that. I don't think to do that. Why? Because there's a heart of nurturing that says there's some people that need to be fed this morning. So I'm going to wake to feed and to give this portion to her, ma- to her maidens. Later in verse 20 it says, um, She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. So that she says, I see some needy, the heart of care, this nurturing, nursing mother thought, says there's a needy person, they need some care, I'm going to care for them. Okay? You see, in this passage, these coats... And the snow don't just magically appear. This food doesn't just pop up on the table this morning. Where do they come from? They come from God 
who has created humans made in His image to illustrate who He is and His care for us by hardwiring into their uh, beings this heart. And by, uh, by hardwiring, that made, us, that made us a terrible word. God has, has, has given by His grace uh, to you a portion of what it looks like to be Him. So a heart that's similar to God. In recognizing and then caring for these needs. And then the third one is, what does it mean to nurture? It means to, to be invested in development. So development is very close to the heart of a woman. Again, we're thinking mostly today in, in this language of mothers, but, but it's much broader than that. That every relationship is a nurturing relationship in terms of I care about your development. I want to invest in your development. In Proverbs 31, verse 26, we'll just, put it, we'll just read this. Um, she open, openeth her mouth with wisdom. That's the idea. So, wisdom. Psalm 131 talks about the weaning of a child. Deuteronomy 32 describes the same thing, right? This weaning, this fluttering of the, of the wings. You see, there's a recognition, and by the way, the weaning was never pleasant, was it? But it was necessary. It had to happen. For growth, because growth is very close to the heart of the woman. I was just talking to a younger woman in the church recently who just says, I, 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 need, I need some nurturing. I need some discipleship. I need someone to sort of take me under their wing and teach me some things. Nurturing is teaching. Ephesians 6, the padeo. It's the whole, it's instruction, it's chastisement, it's training. There's a commitment to developing, to growing, to maturity. There's a heart that says, I want to see the best in those whom I'm committed to, my husband or my children or my sister in Christ. Or I want to help you grow. That's the idea of nurturing. And God says, you're skilled in those areas. As you are able to nurture. So it's relational development. Well, that's a quick overview of sort of the, God's design in nurturing. But Genesis 1 was before Genesis chapter, thir- chapter, chapter 3, wasn't it? And in chapter 3, we know there was a great, a great change. There was a great fall. As we said the last time, Satan knows exactly how God has made us and Satan attacks us in the very places where God has made us. So you can read passages like Proverbs, 30, Proverbs 14, verse 1 that says that a wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish one plucketh it down with her hands. It's the opposite of nurturing. It's the opposite of growth and development and care. She's plucking it down with her hands. So I want to think with you for a few minutes in a very practical way. Um, let's try to make these as practical as possible. I want to think with you in terms of the fall. And so some pitfalls in nurturing. And again, as I said last, I want you to pray over these. These may not describe you at all. They may not be close to where you live, but they may be. They may be close to your thoughts and your mentality of who you are which, and, what, and, and, and how you live your life. And so will you pray over these? And if some of these are recognizable, will you, by God's grace, ask for help in repenting and turning and living a life that God has designed you for? I want to talk sort of in two, two different categories. The first one is um, this, just lies of Satan. Okay, so under this bigger lie of Satan, um, I'll just call it this, the lie that says abandon nurturing. Reject nurturing. Reject the nurturing identity. Okay, so just two sort of subcategories for this. The temptation to abandon nurturing. The can a woman forget her sucking child idea in Isaiah 49. Well, the first one is, is something that uh, may have been around for a while, but I, I, think, I seem to notice it more today in the world around us. And that's the idea that care or a nurturing heart is weakness. 
that there's some sort of a, 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 some sort of a virtue in hardness, in being hard, physically hard, emotionally hard is really what I'm talking about, though. I'm not moved. I'm not, a, I'm not affected. I'm a tough person. Softness is weakness. Can I just tell you, that's a, that's a grotesque lie of Satan. Thank God for softness. Thank God for emotions. Thank God for empathy. Thank God for care and for the heart that produces that care. Friends, care is not weakness. According to what we just read in Proverbs 31, care is the greatest strength. How do we know how God cares? We know through how you care, ladies. Secondly, under this abandoned nurturing category, just the idea that there's no profit in service. That if I pour out my life in caring, then I won't be cared for. So self-care becomes the primary aim of life. The need to focus on the self. And I understand that. I understand we all care for self. And by the way, it's not as if females are uniquely called to this life of care. We just got through with the males who are called to a life of care. It looks different. It's wired differently. It's the same thing. In fact, I would just tell you this. When we are living according to God's design, God has designed it that, 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 that females are pouring into relationships and they're being poured into. They are giving and receiving. It's a beautiful cycle of life. Just as God designs the uh, uh, photosynthesis to be this beautiful cycle of life, so He has designed the human interactions to be a beautiful cycle of abundant life. But abundant life doesn't occur when everyone says, I'm going to focus on caring for myself. Everyone loses. Everyone loses. Individually and collectively, we lose when we say, it's time to focus on me. If I don't care for me, I won't be cared for. We're going to get to the redemption part of this in a little bit, okay? So there's, a, there's some hope here, and we'll get there. But just stay with me for now. Let me ask you this. Was Jesus's, the same Jesus of Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life as a ransom for many, was Jesus's life wasted? Was Jesus shriveled up at the cross? No, only, only apparently so, but not, not in reality. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Did Jesus lose? Jesus did not lose. And let me tell you, if Jesus has made you in the design that He has made you, I can guarantee you, you won't lose either when you walk in the way that God has designed you for. Please, please heed the truth of God's Word. Now, I want to move to the second lie. I'll spend more time here, honestly. Because I think this second lie applies more to women and uh, females who embrace the biblical model. I'm just going to call this, big, big, big category, call this unbridled nurturing. Okay? Unbridled nurturing. You go, well, what, what can be bad about nurturing? You said nurturing looks like God. Well, God also has, is filled with wisdom, isn't He? So God in His wisdom has designed creation and designed even humanity in male and female relationships in, with structure, with authority. He made the man first and then the woman. And He's done this not just, to, not just to do it, but He did this with wisdom. And part of that wisdom is this, is that nurturing, as vital as it is, needs a governor. Okay? As vital as nurturing is, it must have a governor. A heart of great empathy, of caring, of willing service, of commitment to development. What could go wrong? 
Well, it's sort of like making bread. Bread, I've never made bread, but I Googled it. <laughs> Just to be honest. And, uh, and uh, there's some basic ingredients, flour and salt and yeast and water. And I have no idea the, 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 uh, the composition of it, or the, uh, the, the ratio of each. There's probably some more stuff too, right? But I, can, I know this for sure. If the ratio's not right, it's a disaster. It's a disaster. You can make something that looks like bread, but it's not edible. Something that looks nothing like bread is not edible either. So let's think through some things that I think are very real things. I'm going to call these sort of a, a hyper mother bear syndrome. The first one, Bible talks about this, is just spoiling. Spoiling really is robbing, we'll do this in terms of motherhood right now, is robbing your children or robbing those in your care, robbing those who you're nurturing, robbing those people of the realities of life. Again, Psalm 131 verse 2 and um, Deuteronomy 32, they have weaning as a fundamental part of what it means to nurture. Let me say that again. Weaning is a fundamental part of nurturing. And when you rob of the realities of life by just saying to, to, to be a nurturer means I'm just going to pour forth good upon them. And by good, I mean all things pleasant and all things lovely. You are robbing them. You're spoiling them. Secondly, I'm just going to call this one force feeding. Your personality is that you know what needs to be done. Maybe you are... Maybe, you are, um, maybe you're an older woman and you see some of these uh, younger mothers here and you know, you can see some things like, man, they're kind of missing it here and you can just sort of see that and, and you know what needs to be done. And it's, 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 let me say this, it's God's calling according to Titus to help, for you to help them do it. But your approach is, is that I know what needs to be done and I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it and there's not going to be any give and take at all. And no real listening at all. And, and it just falls into a disaster, doesn't it? You see, part of nurturing is giving growth, uh, giving space for growth to occur on God's timetable. You may know what your children need. And with wisdom, you're to help them, help them get there. But if you force feed, all of your relationships will be adversarial relationships. And that is not how God has designed it. Here's another one that's very closely aligned, smothering. Where there's no room for growth because you micromanage every single thing. Failure is never an option. Maybe your maybe your focus is academic. So academic failure is never an option. Every single child is going to love English because I love English. Every single child is going to have their hair brushed and perfectly and, and love brushing their hair. Friends, you, you will smother. Smothering is not nurturing. Remember, there is the fluttering of the wings to allow them to fly, and if they fall, you're there to catch. But when your nurturing ends up in adversarial relationships, there's a, there may be a problem on both sides, but there's definitely a problem on the nurturing side. Next, just nurturing that's driven by fear. So all of your interactions are driven by fears, fears of things that you may have experienced or fears of things that you've read about or fears of things that others are going through, bad stories that you've heard dramatically affecting your approach because you project them to be on your own. That's not nurturing. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, the rest of these are, are, are things that, uh, that I just associate with struggles that we all have, but struggles with, with the balance of responsibility and God's sovereignty. Okay? I think we all, we all, we are all there on that, on that line at times. We're not sure what's my responsibility what's God, and what God is sovereign. Let me just give, give you a few and I'm not, by the way, I said this last time, I said it again. When I bring these up, I'm not mocking. I'm just saying they're real things. 
Real things to think about, real things to, to see, real things to, to recognize, real things to, to take to the Lord with. One of these is, is overprotection. Babying is what I called it. Where every pain is dramatized. Where every slight becomes a personal crusade to right the wrong. That's tough, isn't it? We all hate to see, for parents, we hate to see our children go through hard things. Hard things in the playground, hard things, you know, um, wherever they are. And, 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 and man, we need wisdom there, don't we? But here, here's, here's the reality. The reality is this. God has designed that through hard things we are sanctified. And our lives, our adult lives, will be filled with many hard things. And when we seek to, to, to keep a buffer between all hard things and our children as they're developing, we are not preparing them for the realities of life. And so we need grace there, don't we? Every pain cannot be hovered over. Every slight cannot become a personal crusade. The nurturer is often filled with conflict, either outwardly or in the heart. And conflict does not come from the Lord. Let me give you another practical one. Concern for health. Health is a part of nurturing, isn't it? She riseth up early to feed. It's a very important part of nurturing. It's essential to nurturing. But when we're, when we're straddling this line between our responsibility and God's sovereignty and we go over the line into responsibility, a concern for health becomes warped. It just does. It becomes warped into an all-out pursuit for health. And here's what happens when that happens. Number one, we can't control it. Not fully. You know why? Because we are made of clay. We're sinners. We're mortal and an all-out pursuit of health that fails to acknowledge the inevitability of mortality and refuses to place our hands, our lives into the hands of a sovereign God. Now, I'm not here to give all the answers today. Clearly, I'm just moving through these. But I'm telling you, that's one to think about. One that I notice more and more in our, in our time, in our, in our, just where we are today, is that this nurturing heart to bring physical health is oftentimes warped and becomes... Um, it becomes where life is not even sustainable, not real abundant life. Next, just this sort of spirit of, of or maybe this um, um, a divide, uh, 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 the failure to distinguish between management of, of life and stewardship of life. Nurturing is stewardship. Godly nurturing is stewardship. Godly nurturing is not management. You see, a lot of times this becomes about control. I can manage the outcome, the desired outcome, if I have enough control. There's several things that usually happen when this happens. One of the things that happens is that this battle for control, this battle to manage lives. We talked about this in the smothering and other things. Um, it, it means oftentimes, number one, that we'll leave our sphere of influence. And there will be conflict in the home, for example. But it also means this, means that we never rest. So that there's an unnecessary, listen to me, an unnecessary physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion and exhaustion that God has not assigned to you. God has assigned exhaustion to all of us in some way, but God has not assigned an exhaustion, a mental exhaustion, an emotional exhaustion, a physical exhaustion that comes with, I can manage this if I just give enough attention to it. Also associated with that is a crippling anxiety. Where your life is filled, filled with anxiety that cripples you in a functional way because you feel like it is your responsibility to manage the outcome for whatever this relationship is, whether it's a friend or a, 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 a husband or a, or, or a child. Well, let's close, let's close with redemption, okay? So the redeemed nurturer. By the way, I know that I'm just throwing these things like, like 
pellets and they are like darts and, and we're not really fleshing them out. But I just wanted you to, to, to ponder. If, if you just finish the sermon and go, well, that was a sermon about nurturing. Nurturing is good. I want to be a better nurturer, but I don't know what that means. Then that's not very helpful, is it? So we need to be able to say, well, this is what it means to nurture. This is what God has, has designed me for. This is some places where, where nurturing goes way off track. Okay, so redeemed. So you're, you're, you're maybe, maybe one of those you identified with. Maybe it's the smothering, or maybe it's the control, or maybe it's the exhaustion, maybe it's the anxiety. Who knows? Well, let me, let me talk to you. Remember I said before, every, all these messages are gospel messages. Jesus is a nurturer. So let me just start right here with the gospel. Here's one great piece of the gospel. I said it before, Jesus is touched. Write that down. So whatever, whatever hit you right there, know this. Jesus is touched by your infirmity. Jesus is touched by your overall control. Jesus is touched by your, by your, uh, your, 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 um, your, your intense focus on health or on, on, on babying. Jesus is touched by that. He knows your need. He knows your frame, that it is as dust, and yet He pities you. He's touched. Remember, you are only an imitator, a small imitator of the great nurturer. And so not only are you called to live out part of what the gospel looks like in Jesus Christ nurturing, God's nurture of us, but also you're called to receive His nurturing. So know this, not only is He touched, but He is equipped, listen to this, He's equipped to carry your burdens in a way that you are not equipped to carry them. You need to hear that. 1 Peter 5, 7. You're going to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Part of humbling yourself before the mighty hand of God is to cast your cares upon Him, for He is the better carer. He careth for you and for your burdens and your responsibilities. So Jesus is equipped to carry my burdens in a way that I am not equipped to carry these. See, all we're trying to do we're not trying to absolve responsibility. All we're trying to do is to, is to get back in, 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 uh, in, get back out of the, the, the uh, I don't know what I'm saying here, how to say it better, but you know, I think you know what I'm trying to say and failing to do so. It's just, it's just pull back from these extremes, back to the balance of responsibility. The responsibility is empowered by God's grace. Okay? So he's equipped to, to, to carry your burdens. Next, Jesus is a better nurturer than you are. Psalm 127, verse 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. So therefore, it is vain for you to, to rise up early and to sit up late and to eat the bread of sorrows, for He gives His beloved sleep. He, he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to give you the rest of knowing that I'm actually the one that's building the house. I'm not giving you laziness, but I'm giving you rest, emotional rest, spiritual rest, Physical, I'm the one that's building the house. And then finally, finally, this recognizing that in this struggle, in this in this battle of my my heart, understanding this that that what's actually happening right now is that God is nurturing me through this struggle. So, so what, what's he doing? Well, it's sort of like the eagle with the eagle. I'm the eaglet on his wings, and he's, he's been fluttering me, and I tried to fly, but I'm not flying too well. He's going to come back in here and catch me again. He's going to teach me some more, and he's going to flutter me again. I'm going to fly some more, and eventually I'm going to be flying. That's what God is doing. God in our lives is nurturing us. So part of what he's doing when he's showing you your failures is not to, to slap you across the face. It's to, it's to catch you and then teach you so, in other words, what God is doing is God is teaching you to trust in Him even as you engage in what God has called you to do. Does that make sense? I want you to do this. I want you to have a heart that cares. I want you to actually care. I want you to do the work of caring. And I want you to see and focus on development. But as you do this, I want you to trust in me in it. Okay? I will be the best nurturer when I'm trusting God. 
when I'm focusing on my sphere, when I'm loving and caring and teaching, but I'm giving them management over to God. Like, God, I can't, I can't manage this. I can't control this. But you do an amazing job. You've done an amazing job, Lord, of caring for me all the days of my life. Saved like a shepherd, you've led us. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I've never wanted. He's made me to, to, to walk in paths of righteousness and to, and, to, and to be safe in very dangerous times where I can eat even as I'm surrounded by enemies. God, it's because you care. You're a nurturer. And the greatest nurturing is that when we were without strength, Christ in due time died for the ungodly. He found them when they were as an infant abandoned. He found you when you were as an infant abandoned and you're still in your own blood. Waiting to die in a waste howling wilderness that's described as a place where wild beasts are, are, are the kings of the, of the wilderness. And He found you and He cared for you and your your Existence in your presence today is another faithful sign that God is continuing to care for you. And this morning, God has given you His Word as, as, as care, as love, as, as, as nurturing to you that you might suck honey from the rock, the rock that is Christ. May we find... So, may we say this as a church, praise God for nurturers. Praise God for designing women to be nurturers. And praise God... That he's the great nurturer. So we don't expect our women to be perfect nurturers. But we expect God to be a perfect nurturer of our soul. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for our time together. I pray that the words that have been said have been helpful and, and, and true and stirring. And may we find in you the grace to live out the lives that you've called us to for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our great shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.